Listener Production. <coughs> Take it away, my dulcet toned Adonis. Newcastle. Ah! Just mysteriously murdered our husband's ass. He fell down the stairs. He tripped. It was an accident, I swear. Listen, I gotta say. That might have been the best crowd we had for that dance. The way you guys went fucking wild. <laughs> the brief was Rocker's Steadford in the 90s. It and really I feel was. like we nailed it. We just said, if we've got a spotlight and a stage and we're getting paid, we are doing this high school talent show all the fucking way. Mm-hmm. So, um, shall we do some... <gasps> <laughs> in the room is willing to admit to my face, and there has been some every time, willing to admit to my face that you don't like the breaking news song. Now, come on. Oh, here we go. Here's this fella right here looking around, acting like he doesn't want me to notice him, but he's in the front row. It's always a man. (laughs) What's... What's, what's your name, buddy? Daniel. Okay. Yeah, I, yeah, okay. I could see what you were doing with your face mouth. All right. <laughs> Everyone, we're going to do the breaking news song. We're going to do it in our most nasally, most offensive tone to people with auditory processing disorders because that's what I've been told I trigger. We're going to do this now and we are going to aim it at Daniel. Daniel or David? David, Daniel. Daniel. Daniel, doesn't matter. We're going to aim it at Daniel. All of you over here, turn that way. All of you over here, turn this way. Everyone behind. All of your energy, all of your vocal fry in this direction. Ready, set. Breaking news, I'm breaking news. I got the scoop for X-ray, X-ray, read all about it. I'm breaking news. Yes, it is. Alrighty, you guys. That's the first time your target has sung along, by the way. Oh, he sung along. He's a fan. Okay, well, sure. <laughs> a viral clip has been going around um, on TikTok. Do you know how I'm on the TikToks now? Mm-hmm. Um, with this female comedian talking about how doctors have finally started acknowledging that period pain can be as painful as a heart attack. Oh. I know. So I wanted to understand a bit more about this because I was like, since when? Because they just tell me to take a Panadol. Um, But I did a bit of research and it turns out that it's kind of an old story. So, but oh, welcome. You missed the dance. No refunds. (laughs) The rest of the show sucks. Um, So back in 2018... There was this doctor called Dr. John Gillibard who did an interview in which he spoke about the research he'd been doing into menstrual pain. And he was like, oh my God, crazy thing. When you actually listen to and believe women like about how bad their period pain is and don't just palm it off as like part of being a lady, it's actually like pretty bad, you guys. <laughs> and all these other doctors were like, what? <laughs> and every woman across the world was like, yeah, no shit. Mm. Um, and he said... 
I think it happens with both genders of doctor that they don't take it seriously enough. On the one hand, men don't suffer the pain and underestimate how much it is or can be in some women. But I think some women doctors can be a bit unsympathetic also because they either don't get it themselves that badly or they think, well, if I can live with it, so can every woman. Like, it's just part of being a woman. Like, you know, just take a Panadol. Mm-hmm. So this happened back in 2018, even though this comedian's viral clip has sort of been going around the last month. But it was a big news story at the time. And I was like, oh, my God, well, then something must have happened since then to, like, make things better for all ladies. So, Dr. Gillibout and another doctor, Dr. Legro at the time, talked about the medical field desperately needing to allocate a lot more funding towards understanding women and menstrual pain and menstruation and periods better because, like, they just discovered it's a thing. Um, And, like, last year, Dr. Legro did another interview, so what's that, a few years later, and he said, um, yeah, nothing's happened. We've got no funding he said that we still have to educate the male public and public health providers and funding agencies in this day and age that menstrual pain is real, that it is debilitating and that it disrupts women's lives is astounding to me. It was as if someone just figured out that childbirth is painful. (laughs) So as exciting as this viral clip is going around of this comedian saying, oh my God, amazing news, doctors have finally admitted that period pain can be as bad as a heart attack. It actually happened a few years ago, and since then, nothing has changed. (laughs) Gender dynamics. And that's the breaking news. Nothing's happened. Oh, yeah, I just looked into it. Okay, cool. All right. I had a look into it. (laughs) Thank you. Do you want to go sit with Daniel? All right, here we go. A girl in the US has admitted that she paid $1,000 to boost an Instagram post of a super hot selfie of herself, and she had the post targeted at the very specific demographics that matched up with her (laughs) ex-boyfriend. So a hot picture of her would constantly pop up in his feed. That's mad. (laughs) Yes. I love that level of petty. I know. That level of pettiness is something we can all aspire to. Oh, sensational. Total ledge. I thought you were going to say sugar daddy. No, That was even better. Better. Totally better. Oh, guys, my mum discovered Pornhub. Ah. I know. (laughs) What's that? I know. So, okay. So me and my sister were at um, Yamcha with my mum the other day when we were in Sydney on our way to the Uh. Wollongong show. And she just, like, very randomly said to me and my little sister Taylor, oh, girls, guess what? I found that thing, Pornhub. (laughs) And me and Taylor were like, what? And she goes, I thought you could only find it on the dark web, but then I managed to find it on the regular web. Did you know you can just Google anything? And me and Taylor were like, what What? were you Googling that you found Pornhub? And then she kind of started backtracking. She was like, oh, no. Nothing. Um, it was just I was looking up some actor and um, I can't remember even who and, and, you know, then I just, I'm not sure. Then this link came up and I clicked on it and I said, were you looking up that actor plus the word naked? Mm. And she was like, no, no, I don't know how I found it. That's not the point. Anyway, isn't it amazing? <laughs> it's just like a marketplace. You can find anything on there. All Something the categories. She's like, I was just having a browse. Couldn't believe she really is into porn. I feel like she's going to end up, you know, um, that episode of Family Guy where Quagmire discovers internet porn and he disappears and then a week later his forearm is like the size of a, like, <laughs> tree trunk. She just it's reappears. It's going to be my mom, I know. husk. 
completely well, dehydrated. Who knows? Oh. She's bringing it back to life, whatever's down there. Oh, good for her. Was very excited about it. First, I don't even know how she knows what the dark web is, but she thought Pornhub was only on the dark web. <laughs> and then she somehow was looking for something dodgy enough that a bunch of Pornhub links came up. So Love that she announced it over lunch as oh, well. Always. No I don't filters. I don't want to think much deeper about how she found herself there. Um <laughs> Oh, here we go. 5,000 people have sent this to me, but if you haven't seen it, you should watch it. That clip of Titanic, but with cats. Oh, okay. So I'm pretty sure 90% of you are in this room. Every single I Instagram message her. I've got for the last three months has mm. been that. It is amazing. If you haven't seen it, please watch it. Um, but PSA, stop sending it to me. <laughs> um, and okay, here's one that, oofed, this hurts. The year The Lion King was released is closer to the moon landing than it is to today. <laughs> and not by, like, a day, by, like, three years. Yeah, yeah. it's a lot. Mm. What's yeah. that about? Mm-hmm. No thanks. Can we all just forget that fact? Yeah, I don't like that at all. Uh, and that was Did Existential look- Crisis. Well done. Um, are you going first? You're going first. I can go first, oh, sure. Relax then. Hold We're on. We're going to tell gonna you a couple of stories very tonight. Classily put my leg under my other leg Settle and in. half my badge. Okay, Get there comfy. we go. I am comfortable. As I'm sure you know at our live shows, we each tell a story a little bit shorter than a regular episode. Yeah, we read the reviews. You know you hate at least one of us. So we were like, look. We don't want them to turn up and be like, oh, it's Rosie's week. Like, so we wanted to give you a little taste of each of us so the story's a little bit shorter to fit it in for time. And don't worry, I'll interrupt as much as I always do. So take it away. Let's go. All right, I am serving up a tasty little scammer story this evening. Hey! So this is going to be just the gist of the life story of one of the world's greatest ever Artists, a guy who's up there with Charles Ponzi and Bernie Madoff and Elizabeth Holmes. Anna Delvey. And Anna Delvey. Anna Delvey. Absolutely. I keep doing that accent everywhere. Like I just, oh no, now I've gone Jamaican. It comes and it goes. Oh, yeah. It comes and goes. I try. So this guy's considered a legend, not because he made the most money, but because he used the widest variety of scams over the course of his career and also because he managed to pull off some of the most audacious scams in history. He is best known for convincing multiple people to hand him millions of dollars to buy the Eiffel Tower from him. (laughs) And his real name is like a mystery to history, but... His fans, of which I am proudly one, call him Count Victor Lustig. So, oh, a count. A count, yeah. <laughs> a count. Um, okay, so when it comes to the Count's origin stories, there's really nothing we can prove when it comes to where and when he was born, who his parents were, because there was just no record of him until he was a teenager and he was old enough to start getting arrested, which he did quite a lot. Love it. Um, And he was already at that point using a whole bunch of different fake identities and telling people different stories about where he'd come from and who his parents were. But we think he was born around 1890, somewhere in what is now the Czech Republic. Mm -hmm. The one thing that was consistent across all his origin stories he told people was that throughout his youth he was always wildly intelligent, outrageously charismatic, and that does line up Mm. with who he went on to become in later life. A really charming, smart guy who 
just like we say about all the scammers we cover yeah. on Just the Gist, he could have turned those talents to something legitimate and contributed something amazing always. to the world. It's always. always the case. In this case, he thought it'd be heaps more fun to go and do crimes. So that's what he did. And he started off as a pickpocket and then he worked his way up to some light burglary. And then from there, he started refining his skills, hustling people on the street, usually with like card games and stuff to swindle them out of a bit of money, like three card Monty, follow the queen, that type of stuff. Three card Monty? Yeah, that's, you know, you think you can watch closely enough and see where the oh, queen right, goes. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah, I understand. The, the yeah. sort of things that cops are always busting up on yeah, the street yeah, yeah, all yeah, the time. Yeah, 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 gotcha. By the time he got into his mid-twenties, he'd moved all over Europe and he'd really refined his swindler skill set. So he was ready to move up into the big leagues and as soon as World War I ended, he moved on over to America because he knew where that's where all the big money was at that time and it was absolutely where the biggest schmucks were. So he wanted to be where they were and from the moment he got there, his favourite characters to play were Counts, in particular Count Victor Lustig. He had about 40 aliases and at least five of them were fancy fancy counts because that gave him a lot of credibility well yeah because in the u.s it would be like like they didn't have royalty or aristocracy mm. so a count they'd just be like you're a count oh, and they yeah. wouldn't how many castles do you own yeah yes. exactly like yeah. a count from europe yeah. -da. big deal back then to our generation probably if someone introduced themselves as a count we'd be like oh 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 <laughs> What's the number of the day? <laughs> but yeah, back then it was like, oh, a count, you say. Yeah. And he always dressed the part. He'd wear top hats and gloves and carry around a cane and look super fancy and sophisticated. <laughs> it just makes me think of a Monopoly man. Yeah. A monocle. <laughs> I'm sure at least one of the counts he played wore monocle. a monocle. Yes. Yeah. Um, so he found it really easy to just slip into all sorts of different fancy social circles, just like Anna Delvey yes. did. Being European and acting rich will open doors for you. Americans are such dummies. Mm. Oh. So he was welcomed by these people that he immediately started scamming all over the country, moving around quite a lot. And he had dozens of different types of grift that he liked to pull. I'd love to tell you about all of them, but we're only together for a short amount of time this evening, so I'm just going to focus in on my two favourite cons that gist. he pulled. Yes. And then I'll allow you to go and do your own research to find out some of the others. So as he was bouncing around the country pulling these grifts, sometimes he was taking with him his wife and his daughter. Oh, he has a wife and a daughter. Mm -hmm. Yep, who oh, he wow. kept secret from everyone. They were never part of his fake identities that oh. he used. Yeah. And while he was on the move, he always had with him a fistful of fake passports. Mm -hmm. He also had a bag full of disguises with him at all times in case he needed to make a quick getaway. Like in the space of a minute flat, he could become a priest, he could become a rabbi, he oh. could become a bellboy. He had a whole assortment of fake mustaches. Yeah, that's so fancy. Because when you say a bag of disguises, doesn't everybody's mind just go to the glasses with the nose and the mm. mud? Like, yes, that's all. You, but you're like, oh, no, no, a priest, yeah. a bellboy. The bellboy was the one he used the most because, like, no, he's been walking look, no around carrying luggage. Them. Yes, yeah. and everyone ignores them, totally. He also had $15,000 of cash sewn into the lining of every one of his jackets so just in case he got pinched by the fuzz at some point and so he'd be able to bribe them to yeah. let him go. Yeah, mm -hmm. there's going to be a lot of 1920s slang in here, say, by the way. Why are just you to give you the like... flavour of the way Count Vic was communicating with You're people. You're talking like, you know, he's going to get cheesed and all that. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? Okay. But the guy was the cat's meow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
Um, in pretty much every city he went to, his favourite scam to pull was called the Romanian, uh, the Romanian box. Sorry, Romanian box. The Romanian <laughs> box. Yes. Oh, that sounds. Of course, your mind went straight yeah. to the gutter. <laughs> That's a Romanian lady's vagina. <laughs> <laughs> My brain went straight to a RuPaul's Drag Race challenge of some sort because he's oh. always changing. A reveal. He just did a Lollapurusa on the latest uh, episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anywho, he didn't invent the Romanian box, but he certainly did perfect it. And the way he'd run this would be every time he'd move to a new city, he'd start making friends who had no idea they were actually his marks, usually at like swanky gentleman cigar club sort of places or whatnot. And inevitably at some point while they were having a conversation, the new friend would ask the count, what do you do for money? <laughs> oh, is the new friend Caleb? Those <laughs> <laughs> kind of vibes. And he'd say, well, funny you should ask. Yes, it's on. I'll let you in on a little secret. So I inherited this special technology that I use to make these boxes that can replicate any form of paper currency from around the world using this new technology called radium. Have you heard of it? And they'd be like, hmm, kind of sceptical, photocopiers didn't exist Right, back then. so it was kind of, wait, what is this, the 20s? Yes. So this is like trying to explain a photocopier to people in the 20s. Mm, before it even existed, yeah. yes. And so they were sort of sceptical but certainly intrigued and so he'd say, well, why don't I show you a demonstration? And he'd take them to see this box, which would be roughly the size of this coffee table, say, and it'd have like slots and knobs on one end and other slots and knobs and levers on the other end. And he'd take a $100 note out of his wallet and he'd feed it into one slot on one end. Yeah. Then he'd take a blank piece of paper, slot it in the other end, and then he'd take some liquid, special liquid, drop it in a hole in the top of the box and say, all right, now we have to wait and let the science happen. And that's hey. going to take, sometimes he'd say six hours, sometimes 12, sometimes 18 hours. They'd go away. He'd try to get the mark as drunk as he possibly could. Yeah. And then when they'd come back, the count would crank the second lever on the box and out would come the first $100 note followed by a second identical $100 note, which would then blow the mark's mind. Wait, I'm sorry. You mean the first was the original? Yes. So it takes 18 hours mm -hmm. to make one more $100 note. Mm -hmm. But that's like, I thought you were going to say, and when they come back, 100 $100 notes come out. Just the one. Didn't even need to get that complicated. Yep, wow. just the fact that you could create a duplicate was, was enough to impress people. Back in the 20s. Yes, absolutely. Wowzers. Now, for most of us, we would probably say at that point, if you can literally print your own money, why are you bothering to sell these boxes? You could just yes. be printing your own money Especially all day, if it only every day. One note every 18 hours. <laughs> but he knew how to pick a chump as a mark, and right. so he wasn't targeting people who were thinking that critically. So instead, they would just be totally amazed and be like, well, hotsy totsy, this is the bee's knees, but <laughs> won't the bank know this isn't the real McCoy? And he'd be like, well, why don't we find out together? Let's go down to the bank. They'd go down to the bank, they'd deposit both of the $100 notes without any issue, and that's when the mark would be 
absolutely desperate to buy the box. And the count would always act very reluctant, like, oh, I'm so sorry, but we only make a couple of these a year. They're really expensive. Radium so scarce. There are people ahead of you on the wait list. You've got to understand, mm. I just can't sell it to you. And they'd get more and more desperate and start increasing the offer they were giving him. Like, how many clams do you need? 25000 50000 $100,000? And so then eventually the count would generously agree to sell the box to the mark. Yeah. He'd get a bag full of cash and then they'd happily take home their box and then, of course, the first time they tried making their own money, nothing but blank paper would spit out the <laughs> other end. But by that time, either six or 12 or 18 hours had passed, oh. so the Count was in a completely different city using a different name Like the already. monorail guy. That's exactly yes. right. And they couldn't exactly go to the police and say, um, I tried to buy a money forging <laughs> machine and it didn't work, so I'd like to report a crime. <laughs> so they just had to come to terms with the fact that they'd lost their money and they were not as smart as they mm. once thought. There was one time, though, that one of the marks bumped into Count Victor when he was in his next city. Yeah. And when he approached Count Victor, he was like, oh, piss. But the mark was like, oh, Count, thank God I found you. I'm so relieved. I'm so, so sorry. I screwed up. I didn't wait 12 hours. I cranked the lever after only 11 hours. And now the box won't work at all. It's just spitting out blank pieces of paper. Can you help me? Can I fix this? And the Count, so smart, said, you fool, you've ruined it forever. There is no way we can possibly repair it. I should never have sold this box to an imbecile like you. And the guy was like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm so, so sorry. Can I please can I please just buy another box from you? And the count was like, I don't know. You're just going to make a mistake again. And the guy's like, I promise, I promise. No, please, please, please. So the count sold him a second box for $25,000 and told him there will be no more second chances after this. So do not fuck it up this time. And then the count, of course, bolted and was like, I can't believe that. I kind of love him. He was such a genius. My favourite twist in the Romanian box scam, though, begins with the Count being arrested by a sheriff in Texas. So the Count was a wanted man all across the country at this point, and this sheriff spotted him, arrested him, and took him down to the station. And while he was sitting in his cell, he and the sheriff got to talking, and the sheriff started to open up about some of the money problems he was having. And the Count was like, really? You know, I might have the solution for you. <laughs> Here's a key to my storage space downtown. Go there, bring back the fancy-looking cedar box with the slots and the knobs, and I'll show you what I'm talking about. So the sheriff did exactly that, brought the box back. The count did his usual demo with the $100 bills, and the yeah. sheriff was like, yowzers, yeehaw! <laughs> it worked, I can't believe it. And the count was like... You know, this is my last box, but I would be willing to sell it to you at a discounted price if you'd be willing to let me go. And the sheriff was like, well, show enough. And he agreed to the deal. <laughs> what? Why have you been, you've been talking in 1920s slang this whole time, except then you go, show enough. Well, now we're in Texas. <laughs> Got to give you the flavour of the sheriff. 
Um, so he agreed to the deal and he gave the Count a pile of cash that he took from the local people's tax collection. No. And sent oh. the sheriff off on his way. And then the sheriff tried using the box for himself and when he realised that he'd been conned, he went and hunted down the Count like the Terminator and he found him. Yeah. And when he came across the Count, he had his gun drawn ready to shoot already and the Count was like, okay, okay, let's just calm down here. What sounds like happened is you didn't follow the instructions correctly. Don't yeah. worry, I will give Screw you a full up. refund just for the inconvenience, but let's go through those instructions again because I think you'll find that this box actually is fully operational. <laughs> and so things calmed down a little bit. The Count gave the sheriff his refund. The sheriff went off to the bank immediately to deposit that bag of cash and went home to go and use his machine. And then he gets a knock on the door from the federal police who wanted to talk to him about the fact that he'd just tried to deposit tens of thousands of dollars of counterfeit notes. <gasps> so he was arrested. And then when he tried to explain the entire <laughs> position, they were like, so you tried to buy a money-forging machine using taxpayer <laughs> dollars? So he guaranteed himself a really long mm. prison stay while the Count was still out and about on the streets running cons with his 40 different aliases. Legend. Hero. Legend. So the Romanian box scam is definitely one of the Count's most loved cons, mm -hmm. but the one for which he is most famous is when he managed to sell the Eiffel Tower. So this happened in 1925 in Paris, obviously, and at that time there was lots of chatter about whether or not they should tear the Eiffel Tower down because when it was built in 1889, it was only ever supposed to be there for 20 years max. It yeah, because it was for a fair or something? The World's Fair. Yeah, yeah right, yeah, yeah, yeah. For the entrance for that and it was really just meant to be temporary. And by this point, 1925, the tower was your age, so completely decrepit and required really expensive yeah, maintenance programs. Says the gay two years older than me. Yeah, who yeah. understands what an expensive maintenance regime yeah. looks like. And to a lot of Parisians, they sort of looked at the Eiffel Tower like it was a Christmas tree by the end of January, like, oh, why is that still here? Someone mm. get rid of it. But then there were other Parisians who were like, no, it's going to become an icon. We should hang on to it. I really love it. So it was very sort of controversial. Yeah. And this chatter that was going on ended up being what inspired what became one of history's greatest cons of all time. And it began with the Count um, getting some special letterhead made up mm. from the French government, forged, obviously. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And he sent some very vague letters to six different iron merchants around the country, introducing himself as the deputy director for the Department of Telecommunications. Oh, that sounds legit. Very. Because yeah. that's a real that. department. Yeah. yeah. And he said that he had a top secret business opportunity. If they wanted to know more, they'd have to show up to this secret meeting at this fancy yeah. hotel one day and all six of the merchants of course showed up like they were the kids with the golden tickets going to Willy Wonka's <laughs> factory all so excited to find out what the secret opportunity was and the Count did a presentation to them explaining it's become far too expensive to maintain this tower so the government has decided we're going to sell it off for scrap metal. Yeah. You will have the opportunity to bid on this but it has to remain top, top secret because if the public find out the people who love the tower are going to absolutely riot on the street. 
He then explained that once they'd placed their bids via a silent auction, the person who obviously bid the most was going to have ownership rights of the tower. It'd be up to them to dismantle it, but they'd be able to make a like decent profit selling off all the Eiffel iron. So, of course, all six of the men placed their bids, but the Count already knew who he was going to target because while he was doing his presentation, he was reading everyone in the room and he clocked the person who was most desperate and that was going to be the easiest one to go after. Did he look like Daniel? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, buddy. (laughs) What I can tell you is she usually operates in threes, so you've got one more coming. Okay. Um, Anyway, this guy... His name was André Poisson. André Poisson. André Poisson. Poisson. I was so mm-hmm. close to being Croissant. Yeah, 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 yeah. But fish. Poisson's oh, French for fish. Means? Yeah. Oh, mm. so I could call my vag a Poisson Croissant. <laughs> I really wish you wouldn't. Everything in French sounds nicer, doesn't it? <laughs> oh. Oh. <laughs> Wash that taste out of my mouth. Do not like. Oh. Um, anyway, the Count pulled Monsieur Poisson. I'm going to struggle with that word from now on. Anyway, he pulled Monsieur Poisson aside and said, Look, I really want to give you this deal. You haven't bid the most, but I feel like, you know, you and I, we're both underdogs. We're yep. out here trying to make it on these streets. So I really yeah. want to give this opportunity for totally. you, but I just, I need you to find a way to sweeten the deal. For me personally, if you know what I'm talking uh, about. Yeah. So Monsieur Poisson took a deep breath and he got down on his knee. No. <laughs> <laughs> he knew exactly what was going on. He wasn't being asked for a blowjob. He was being asked for a bribe. A bribe. But he was that desperate. I have no doubt he absolutely would have got on his knees and sucked oh a dick God. to get this contract. Mm. Like remember the dude in the... It, Fire festival to, yeah. to get the water. Yes! Oh my mm-hmm. god! He'd go he'd suck on the poisson croissant. <laughs> he was willing to do anything to get this contract. So he like happily handed over not just the deposit to buy the Eiffel Tower, but then a fifty thousand dollar bribe. Because he thinks this is a guy, an official in the government. Yep. So he thinks, oh, I'm just paying a bribe to this government guy, mm-hmm. so he'll give the the job to me. That's right, which was going to be a career-defining job. That's still common today, really, in government. Yeah, happens all the time. Yeah. He just had no idea that, obviously, the Count was going to (laughs) keep all the money and piss off to Austria, which is exactly what he did. He went to lie low there for a little while. Meanwhile, a few days after the contract had been signed, Monsieur Poisson gets in contact with the French government to try to tee up a time to come and start demolishing (laughs) the Eiffel Tower. (laughs) And they're like, what? And he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm the guy, the one who bought the Eiffel Tower. And they're like, huh? <laughs> and then when he finally tweaked, oh, my God, I've been scammed, I've been scammed, he was like, never mind, wrong number. Um, forget my name. And he was so incredibly embarrassed. Of course, he couldn't go to the police oh, yeah. and he couldn't go to the media because if people found out, his reputation was going to be absolutely destroyed. And he was smart enough to realise there was no way he was ever going to get his money back. So the best thing he could hope for would be that no one would yeah. ever, ever, ever find out. Why let anyone know you're a dummy? Exactly. Yeah. 
And this is exactly what the Count was anticipating and counting on. So smart. So smart. He knew no one would ever want to own up to falling for this. Yeah. Even still, he thought it would be smartest to lay low in Austria for six months, check the French news every day just in case. And once six months had passed and he knew he was safe, he was like... That was too easy. I've got to go do it again. And he went straight back to Paris and he ran the exact same con a second time with five different iron merchants, exactly the same way. Everything was going just as perfectly as it did the first time around. But then one of the marks just started to get a little bit suspicious, started doing a little bit of due diligence and they ended up finding some holes in the story and they reported the Count to the cops. But the Count had these incredible instincts so he knew something was up and so he Mm. was able to skedaddle off to um, America before the cops came to arrest him. So lucky. But even still, he spent the rest of his life going, I was so close. I was so close to selling it that second time. Yes, it was one of the very few cons in his career that didn't work. He's like... um. Leonardo DiCaprio in that movie. Catch me if you can. Yes. yes. He's very like the much 20s like that version of that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Absolutely. Um, and so, I mean, he obviously wasn't going to stop conning people. He spent the next 10 years running long and short grifts all across America and over in Europe. The riskiest con he ever pulled was scamming um, America's most dangerous gangster, Al Capone. <laughs> purely just to show he had the cojones because he only got five grand out of this, but he just wanted the bragging rights of being able to say, yeah, <laughs> iconed America's biggest gangster. I love him. Yeah. And um, during the Great Depression, he really got into counterfeiting and in such a big way that he was having a significant impact on the US economy and inflation in general because he was pumping out so many millions of dollars of fake notes. So that's what ended up putting him at like the top of the Secret Service and the FBI's most wanted lists. So they were hunting, hunting, hunting him and eventually they caught him in 1935, which meant his picture was all over all these newspapers, which meant people across America and Europe were like, that's the guy. That's the guy. He told me he was a producer and I invested in his Broadway production. He and I lost all my money. I never, yeah. <laughs> He's the one that sold me this fucking box. <sighs> so some people came forward. Some people just sent through anonymous information. And that's how we know about all the different aliases he had and all the different scams he pulled over the years. Now, the day before his trial... He escaped from the Manhattan prison he was in (laughs) by literally climbing down the walls using a rope he'd made out of his own bed sheets. (laughs) Like, apparently that's... Scooby-Doo. Yes, that doesn't just happen in cartoons, apparently. People saw this happen, by the way, on the street. So on his way down, as he's climbing, he turned around and looked at them and went, oh, shit, got a hanky out of his pocket and started pretending he was cleaning windows. Genius. Genius. Then he got down to the ground, bowed to them, and then bolted off. The guards had no idea he'd even disappeared until they read the newspaper the next day and read this account about someone having escaped. They went and checked his cell, and all they found was this note with this really obnoxious quote from Les Miserables um, that basically said something along the lines of, God didn't create laws, men created laws, and I don't believe in your bullshit laws, so I'm gone. Anyway, he was on the lam for about a month. He spent a fair bit of that time hiding out in his daughter's um, boarding school dormitory room. 
Yeah. Okay. Um, eventually, he ended up getting caught. He went to trial. He was sentenced to 20 years in Alcatraz. Oofed. By the way, at first, he pleaded not guilty, but then halfway through the trial, he was like, guilty, guilty. I'm really bored of this trial now. I only went through <laughs> with the trial to find out who ratted me out. Now I know it was my accomplice and my mistress. I'm done. That's all I needed. <laughs> And off he went to Alcatraz. <laughs> the official story is that he died there of pneumonia after about 10 years. But mm. that's a little bit iffy because they didn't report his death until two years after it happened. So there's this alternative theory which I've chosen to subscribe to. This one, to. I like this one. Mm. What is this it's one? way better. When World War II broke out, we know he wrote a letter to the government saying, you know what, I know it, I would make the world's best spy. Put me in the game. And so there's this theory that they smuggled him out of Alcatraz yes. and set him up as a secret agent, which he would have been so, so perfect at. That is so much like Catch Me If You Can because right? he works for the FBI then. Yes, 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 exactly. <sighs> so let's all choose to believe that, that That's he spent the rest That's of his happened. life working as a spy. Now, the other thing that the Count is remembered for as such a legend in the world of conning is that he wrote the Ten Commandments of being a good con man. <laughs> Which I think is really relevant for us because when I read through them, I was like, oh, wow, we would make really fucking shit con men. Excuse me. The first commandment is be a patient listener and never interrupt anybody. (laughs) Numbers seven and eight are never be drunk and never be untidy. (laughs) And I think it's four and five are basically find out people's opinions and beliefs and just agree with them no matter what, which would be something we would really struggle with. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no thanks. So, yeah, we're not going to become con men oh. anytime soon. No but drinking and no interrupting. Yeah, wouldn't be Ew. worth it. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. You'd last about three minutes, I reckon. <laughs> if that, please. <laughs> so that, dear listeners, dig listeners, was just the gist of Count Victor Lustig. Highly recommend you do a little bit more digging because there are some really incredible grifts that he did that I just could not cover. That was excellent. Thank you very much. There should be a movie about him. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I don't know why there's Because not. it'd be like Catch Me If You Can, but with like, you're going to get Top cheesed and, yes. break, and, and breaking news and coming down the wire mm-hmm. and, and Tootsie Woods It. And cat's Pajamas. Cat's Pajamas, yeah. That'd be a way funner version of that. Mm-hmm. Oh. And Leo could play it because men can play 20-year-olds until they're 50. True. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Here we go. My turn. You. Sit back. Have some of your, what is that? Better beer. This is better beer. Yeah. Oh, a few people have tried it. Yeah. I'm not going to ask you to film this, but, um, you know, you're welcome to. Um, the guys who do the Inspired Unemployed make it. Oh. Really good. Highly recommend. Anyway. How they make a beer and we don't make a wine? I know. I've been thinking about it. Oh we need God. to. We've got to get in on the merch. Mm-hmm. We've got to start thinking about it. Because we know things. you guys are making your own. Everyone's the making their own merch. And mm. we were like, oh, we don't get paid for that. Mm. <laughs> Let's get in on we're that. We're not organised enough. Yeah. We barely made it to this tour. Jesus. <laughs> it was raining today and we were like, so it's off. Yeah. <laughs> we're going. Okay. Here we go. Here we go. All right. I want you all to cast your minds back to a time when you were young, young and in love for the first time. For the straight gentleman in the room, like Daniel, (laughs) that means a time realising that you'd been born a natural sex god who could pleasure a woman without any effort. (laughs) 
for the straight ladies in the room, that means a time pretending you enjoyed being jackhammered. <laughs> for the queer people in the room, it means a time where you were having satisfying, simultaneous orgasms and realising that despite what your government says, you'd actually been born a superior being. <laughs> but whether you had to pretend you were enjoying terrible sex or not, we've all been young and in love and a fucking idiot. Now imagine when you were young and in love and a fucking idiot. You also had millions upon millions of dollars at your disposal. Mm. How stupid would you have been? Extraordinarily, yeah. Yep. How many engagements would you have had if planning a wedding just felt like planning a party mm. with unlimited funds? Mm. Dozens, dozens, probably. At mm. least dozens. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight I am giving you just the gist of one of the greatest, albeit brief, love stories of our time, that of Ariana Grande and Pete Davidson. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. Here we go. Strap in. Ariana, graduate of the School of Nickelodeon. Pointy manicure, high ponytail. Pete, Saturday Night Live cast member, perhaps then best known for his brave work in which he simulated 69ing with semi-retired wrestler turned actor and star of The Mummy Returns, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. <laughs> 12th of May, 2018, a few days into the relationship. The very first hashtag Pariana sightings <laughs> are reported by reputable <laughs> news sources like TMZ. They are spotted canoodling at an SNL after party, Ariana is photographed with a cloud-shaped phone case, which is the same as Pete's cloud-shaped phone case. Ooh. 23rd of May, 2018, two weeks into the relationship. Matching cloud-shaped phone cases aren't a strong enough declaration of what is clearly forever love. <laughs> Ariana and Pete can foresee no circumstance in which this will not last. They therefore get matching finger tattoos of their cloud-shaped phone cases. <laughs> Millennials are the worst. 28th of May, 2018. Two weeks, five days into the relationship. Ariana and Pete realised that getting matching finger tattoos so soon in their relationship was probably a mistake. It was an insultingly small gesture. They get matching arm tattoos. Oh, what? Oh, this is just the gist. I didn't check. I don't know. Oh. <laughs> it's just the gist. May 30, 2018. Three weeks into the relationship. Hashtag Pariana. Make things official. Because when you're young and in love, been together three weeks and already have two matching tattoos, you need to tell the world that it's just not possible you will ever break up. So they mark the occasion by posting a photo of themselves in Harry Potter robes on Instagram, which Ariana captions with, you trying to slither in? Oh! True, true romance. Oh. I know. 2nd of June, 2018, a month into the relationship. Pete and Ariana continue to post pictures of each other on Instagram, the most prolific of which is a pic Pete posts of Ariana, under which she comments, I look so good here, 
heart eyes emoji. <laughs> sure she did. 4th of June, 2018. A month and two days into the relationship. Pete gets two more tattoos to mark the fact that he has found a relationship that will never end. One is of Ariana's initials and the other is what is of what is possibly her most renowned contribution to pop culture, I think, other than her incredible Celine Dion impression that she does on the Jimmy Fallon show. I know he gets a tattoo of her dangerous woman um, sexy bunny ears right behind his ear. And then... (laughs) And then he posts a photo of Ariana with the caption, are you the letter U? Because they all write with the letter U because they think it's trendier than Y-O-U, but everybody knows that, like, the letter U gets autocorrected and it ends up taking you three tries to get your phone to accept it. And so it's like you're writing U, but everyone knows, like, it took you actually a lot more effort. So really, you're just trying to be trendy. Like, geez, whatever. You're part of the vibe shift. Fuck off. Um, So are you letter U? Kidding me? So fucking lit. Heart eyes emoji. Heart eyes emoji. Heart eyes emoji. Heart eyes emoji. It's serious. June 15, 2018, a month and a half into the relationship. Ariana releases. Oh, wait, no, I missed one. Oh, God, I'm even ahead. Oh, I missed a big one. Pete proposes. (laughs) Pete proposes to Ariana with a $100,000 ring. He describes the truly magical moment it happened as follows. We were in bed hanging. After watching a movie, I was like, will you marry me? It was really dope. It's beautiful. Poetry. Liz and Dick. Timeless. The Liz and Dick of our Mm -hmm. time. Okay, June 19, 2018. A month and a half and a few days into their relationship. Ariana releases her new album, which includes a song titled... Pete on a Segway. (laughs) Kidding. (laughs) See, it's real. Look at him. And I've been doing this in every show and he never expects it and I always regret it because it takes him at least a minute to recalibrate. (laughs) Okay, all right. How are we? Okay, all right, I'll keep going. Okay, okay. She releases a new album with a song called Just Pete. Pete. When fans point out that it's been less than two months and ask if maybe she's moving too quickly, she responds, I've been the fuck through it, through with a U. And life's too short to be cryptic and shit. About something as beautiful as the love I'm in. Truly the Romeo and Juliet of our time. Beautiful, (laughs) beautiful. She then hints that Pete has a 10-inch penis. (laughs) And a thousand opinion articles popped up at the time about this new term called big dick energy, BDE. Remember when everyone started saying, I think he's got big dick energy. And none of those articles point out that young women and girls are encouraged by a patriarchal and misogynistic porn culture to make their male partners feel sexually praised and admired at all times by saying things like, he has a 10-inch penis when he definitely does not (laughs) have a 10-inch penis. (laughs) Daniel. (laughs) 
June 20. You were safe. June 20, 2018. A month and a half and a few days plus another day into their relationship. Sick of not having a permanent base to access that 10-inch penis. <laughs> Ariana buys the two of them a $15 million penthouse in New York City. And in a reminder that they are just young idiots with lots of money, they post many photos of the inside of this penthouse showing that the apartment has no furniture except for a bed, a television, and a pig pen for the pig they just bought called Piggy Small. Uh, really? Yes. Oh, I like them now. Yes. Pete said, we were at home, and Ariana was like, I want a pig. And an hour later, we had a pig. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's beautiful. June 21 to October 14, 2018. More Instagram comments over these couple of months on each other's posts follow, in which they both write the letter U instead of Y-O-U several times, which I have a thing about. Ariana, <laughs> Ariana spends every day wearing thigh-high boots, no pants, and a big baggy jumper with Pete's face on it while sucking on a lollipop and looking up at him like this. Do you guys remember all those pics? And that's where they were like, well, maybe he does have a 10-inch dick because... <laughs> <laughs> um, so feeling like the two tattoos, the $15 million apartment, engagement and adopted pig called Piggy Smalls weren't enough, Ariana gets his name tattooed on another one of her fingers. And then Pete, in what is a concerning but not super surprising attitude about women as objects to be kept, jokes on television about feeling like he, like, about feeling like he won a contest. And he keeps cracking this joke that he thinks is so hilarious about the fact that to make sure he keeps his prize, he's going to swap her birth control pills for Tic Tacs. And I was like, that sounds you're, like you're very confused about the appearance of either birth control pills oh. or Tic Tacs. <laughs> he also points out that his dick is, and I quote, forever hard. Ouch. True romance. I know, yeah, that's, an, that's, that's a medical that would, issue. Yes, yeah, serious discomfort. October 15, 2018, five months and two days into the relationship. Well, it turns out, my friends, that forever hard isn't always forever. <laughs> TMZ reports that despite all the tattoos proving that this young love was definitely forever, the couple had split. Apparently, the stress over the tragic sudden death of Ariana's ex-boyfriend, rapper Mac Miller, was too much for the definite soulmates to get past because, and evidently, this came as a shock to the two young lovebirds. When your early relationship bubble bursts and you realise that 90% of life is pretty much a dumpster fire, <laughs> true love is actually just a guy who doesn't pay for anything and thinks that birth control pills look like Tic Tacs. <laughs> Both Ariana and Pete begin covering their tattoos. November 2, 2018. 18 days post-breakup. An SNL promo featuring Pete jokingly proposing to a woman he's never met goes viral in minutes. <laughs> Despite both insisting there's no bad blood between them, Ariana tweets, then quickly deletes, for somebody who claims to hate relevancy, you, with the letter U, sure love clinging to it, huh? Thank you, Next. Ah, oh, like the song. Ariana then releases that line as a great banger of a song. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Next. 
thank you. Next, next. And thank to Pete, you. I'm so thankful. I'm so fucking grateful for my ex. Yeah, that one. And there were a lot of nexts for both of them, mostly for Pete. Um, she went on to marry a real estate agent who looks exactly like her brother. Google it. And Frankie. Yeah, exactly like Frankie. I'll Google it. And proving that the whole big, big, big dick energy thing might actually be a thing, Pete went on to date actress Kate Beckinsale, actress and daughter of Andy McDowell, Margaret Qualey, supermodel and daughter of Cindy Crawford, Kaya Gerber, and the actress who played the girl who didn't know how penises work on Bridgerton, Phoebe Dinover. And of course, now, Kim Kardashian. Now, getting into just the gist of that is a whole other to-do. For another time, but I will say that what I like about their relationship is that Kim, whenever they're papped together, seems to always be laughing, which it was like she was with Kanye for 10 years and just had a completely still face, like she wasn't allowed to smile in case of wrinkles. So, like, she just seems quite happy and relaxed. And in a sign that he's learned nothing about the permanence of tattoos compared to his relationships, Pete not only got a tattoo of Kim, he got her name branded. On his chest, like a cow. Like, what? Yes. I don't think they even do that to cows anymore. No, what? Yeah, they do. Oh, and to people, evidently. <laughs> no. So, okay. So, Kim talked about this on um, Ellen. First of all, he got a tattoo um, saying, my girl's a lawyer. And it's like, well, she passed her first year of law school, but okay. Um, but that's really good. That's great, because it took her a lot of tries. And then he's... He's um, in the process of getting all his tattoos removed because he wants to get into serious acting and he's like, oh, Oh. all those decisions I made were stupid. Um, So he's in the process of getting all his tattoos removed and so he wanted something of Kim that could not be removed and she said to Ellen, and I quote, he just wanted me to be a scar on him forever. And then she went, it's so cute, you guys. (laughs) I don't know if it is, but... Literally nauseous right now. Yeah. Oh. Well, you know, we'll see. We'll see. Celebrities are so wrong. And oh. in a total full circle moment for this love story, last week, Ariana Grande sent Kim Kardashian her entire new makeup line, REM Beauty, and Kim thanked her by tagging both Ariana and the brand, got to tag the brand, oh. on Instagram. And that, my friends, is just the gist <laughs> of the greatest, albeit brief, love story of our time, Pete Davidson and Ariana Grande. People will be writing sonnets about that for generations. For generations upon generations. Yes. Truly Liz and Dick. Gorgeous. Yeah. Liz and Big dick. Liz and big. Liz, mm. Liz and 10-inch dick. <laughs> I think it, it feels like because he's been with so many famous women since, we forgot he was even with her. So, like, Ariana. Mm. So, it's just, so, I mean, you know, I thought I'd take us a little trip now. Thanks so much. Hi, thanks to you. You yes. How was the show? Thank you all so, so, so Thank much you for coming. coming. Oh. Listener.